Welcome to HIV Frontlines, U.S. Edition, a podcast series from TheBody.com, focusing on frontline workers in the HIV epidemic in the United States. In this series, we'll talk with the dedicated people who work tirelessly to fight HIV, from HIV prevention workers and treatment advocates to outspoken journalists and policymakers. For more information on this podcast, including a full transcript, please visit us on the web. Hello and welcome. This is Bonnie Goldman reporting for TheBody.com. Today's Frontlines interview is with Dr. Debbie Higgins, an HIV specialist who has a federally funded clinic in Savannah, Georgia. Dr. Higgins is the kind of doctor who gives her cell phone number to her patients. She goes to their homes. She believes in being there to be sure that they take all of their HIV medications. And because most of her patients are struggling financially, this kind of dedication can make a huge difference. In 2006, Dr. Hagens participated in a landmark trial focusing on African-American women. It was known as GRACE. And although Dr. Hagens runs a clinic with almost 1,000 patients, and she's the largest provider of HIV care in her community, this was the very first trial she or any of her patients had ever participated in. I had the honor not long ago to speak with Dr. Hagens and talk with her about her clinic and about her experience with this clinical trial. Welcome, Dr. Hagens. Can you start by describing your job and a little bit about your clinic and what kind of clinic it is? I am a family practitioner in Savannah, Georgia. I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the clinical director of Orion White Clinic. And our clinic happens to be the third largest in the state of Georgia. We service eight counties. We have approximately 970 patients, individuals who are living with HIV and AIDS. And I think that for what I can appreciate, the clinic represents the epidemic, how we see it in terms of the healthcare disparity. Our clinic is approximately 80% African American, even though the community is about 50, 55% African American. And like most Ryan White clinics, the individuals, 75% of them, live at or below poverty. Our clinic is also 40% women. That's a pretty big rate of women. I thought the rates were lower for women. Yes, I think you could say that because if you look at the national demographics and you look at the percent of women living with HIV as a whole, they represent about 30% in the nation. So our clinic does have a little bit more mm-hmm. in terms of female infected. Is your clinic more female friendly maybe? Because it's run by a female? No, I wouldn't say that we're more female friendly. I guess if you just look at the staff, the staff is predominantly female, so it's not just myself. I have five fabulous nurse practitioners who are all female, and all of the nurses are female, all of the case managers are female. It's amazing. That must be part of it. I mean, it's a nice thing to go to a female-run and staffed place. I guess it would. I guess we'd have to really get the perspective of the patient. Right. But I think people still respond to genuineness when they feel that they matter to the healthcare uh-huh. team and they respond to being treated with respect. So some of our patients, of course, live in our homeless shelters uh-huh. Uh-huh. and in our subsidized housing. And our individuals, the patients that we service, do have some challenges uh, in terms of substance abuse 
and mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. They have life issues, like I heard a patient say, not just their HIV, but trying to cope with all of the other challenges of being HIV positive to stigma, and then other chronic illnesses. How do you deal with all those issues in your clinic? Well, being a Ryan White clinic, we are a true medical home. Uh So we have the benefit of case managers who do medical case managing, a nutritionist, the, a pharmacy that's on site, and other support services, transportation, uh, that are either on site or made available to the patient. We're fortunate to have peer advocates who are our adherence counselors, and our one of our staff members is an adherence counselor as well. Uh-huh. And of course, all of the providers do adherence at each visit. Case managers also try to do some adherence just to make sure that people are taking their medicines, keeping their appointments. We're actually developing our adherence program. Because our site has approximately 80% African Americans, we have a particular outreach to the African American community, and we have our peer advocates, of course. In some places, they're called peer counselors or patient counselors, Uh or patient advocates, Uh okay, who try to Make contact with the patient, uh-huh. and understand it, understand what it means to live with HIV, understand uh-huh. the challenges, and to help them navigate uh, the healthcare system, to help to introduce them to what services and resources are available to individuals with HIV, right. and to keep them linked into care. Mm-hmm. And I like that refer to them as to do a search and rescue. That if a person has presented to the clinic at least one time and hasn't returned, then to do extraordinary methods to. Right find them and find out what happened to them. I understand that you recently got involved in a research project. Yes. Could you tell me about it? Yes, I'd be delighted to. The title was called GRACE, and GRACE stands for Gender, Race, and Clinical Experience. And we participated in this trial, uh, myself as one of the clinical investigators in the country, but the only clinical investigator at our site. And that was in 2006. It was our introduction to clinical research, but of course we were excited because of the nature of the trial. And even though I did not sit at the table when all of the ideas were going forward and this trial was being designed, we certainly embraced it and embraced it uh, full court. What about it did you embrace? I mean, what was so exciting about it to you? Well, I think for a long time we have seen the numbers, especially in the South, especially in African-American communities, that African-Americans are by far the highest percentage of new infections and all of the complications that go along with it. Women are a fast-growing segment, but there's not not a lot of clinical research that has put an emphasis on the women living with HIV. So this was the women who were already treatment experienced. A lot of the trials did people who were treatment naive. Mm-hmm. So I think that a f- clinical trial that was focused on women, and particularly women of color who were HIV treatment experienced in North America, was unique, very unique. And I didn't understand or appreciate how unique it was until we actually began to be uh, fully involved in the trial itself and to have other clinical trial exposure. I've heard rumors that you got very involved with getting people to stay on the trial. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Do you usually drive to people's home to help them? Yes. Is that just you or is it common in the South? 
Well, no, I don't think that it's just me. I think there are other physicians like myself, but uh, it's not common in the South, no. I think that, you know, what I did for this clinical trial, I think that I've done along my past 20 years as a healthcare provider who has um, certainly dedicated myself to the care of the indigent and underserved, myself and many, many others. For this particular trial, we were, of course, enrolling women who had a history of being non-adherent for various reasons, okay? Maybe homelessness, maybe depression, uh, maybe incarceration, maybe substance abuse issues, maybe loss of insurance, a host of reasons. So here we were dealing with an at-risk population of people and by virtue of the fact that they met the poverty guidelines. To get individuals to the clinic, yes, we had to pick some of them up, take some of them home. I did give every client my cell phone number, and I asked them to please call me if uh, they had a question or a concern or, or any issue, and they did. They didn't abuse it. Uh-huh. They did call. So I've had to make some weekend runs, uh, some after-hour runs uh, for individuals. One individual called on a Friday afternoon, and we had just gone into our Christmas holiday, so we weren't going to be back in the clinic until the following Wednesday. And she called and said she had run out of medicine. And I said, you couldn't possibly have run out of medicine. You've only had it for two weeks. I've run out. I've run out. I told her I was going to come to her house that evening after another commitment I had. So I went to her home, uh, which is a housing project. We stood outside in the light rain with an umbrella uh, in the back of my SUV. Uh, She brought her medicines in a grocery bag that she had dumped out of the bottles because she lived in a home where her household contact did not know of her status. And we looked at her bottles and her pills and we figured it all out. She had not run out as she had thought and she had old bottles of old regimens and just got a little bit confused. So we got all that straightened out and I took all of her old medicine away from her. Uh, We had an individual who was living in a homeless shelter who called the study coordinator they had her number as well. She was very involved, Alyssa Green. And Alyssa was in New York. I was in Atlanta. The client was living in a homeless shelter. She said, I've run out of my other medicines. Okay, not the study drug, but the background medicine. Alyssa called me. I was on my way back to Savannah. Because I had a key to the pharmacy in the building, I had to go into the building on the weekend and deliver her medicines to the shelter on a Sunday. Uh, we had another client who had a, she had her house burned down. I made a run to her house 8 o'clock one night. Actually, I was just in the street on my cell phone. I said, please make yourself visible wherever you are. Just popped out of one of the houses and came to my car and went over her medicines and what had to be done. I'm married to the community. And I think that for me, Grace has brought a lot of focus to an area that for a long time didn't have the attention that it needed. And to understand to and to appreciate the fact that African Americans have not been targeted to gain meaningful and very useful clinical information. And even though we still hear Tuskegee, 
and Tuskegee went on for a long time. I think that what Grace has done at least has raised the bar and put forth a, a great effort by pulling together a very diverse group of people, healthcare professionals, and professionals just in general. Here we have a segment of our population who were the most impacted by a disease that we should have some control over, and they are the least represented. So they've certainly given a voice, a face, a name, a title, a recognition, and the list goes on to, I guess, what was a gap in healthcare data. I guess you, you may be aware that African American women in the South represent anywhere between 67 to about 75% of all new HIV cases. Of all in the, in the country, African Americans represent about a half. African Americans only represent about an eighth an eighth of a pie, which is 12% of the population. But it wasn't just about African American, it was also about women of color, so it also was an emphasis on Hispanic women. If we look at Hispanic women and African American women, we represent about 25% of the um, female population in America, but yet represent close to 80% of all individuals living with HIV, then Yes, it does cause us to raise not just one eyebrow, but two eyebrows, and to try and at least put some sound clinical research into how women respond to our medications. Are women different? Yes, we know that women are different. We know that from some other clinical research that women do respond differently to HIV medications. This study put a lot of emphasis on uh, are there gender and race differences. But weren't the results that there was no difference with the drugs, so the difference was all life problems, issues that were beyond the HIV? Well, in terms of the primary endpoint, which is to have your HIV controlled by an undetectable viral load, yes, there were no clinical differences because everybody responded to treatment. Uh, There were some differences, of course, in uh, rising CD4 count, but also a significant difference in the people who completed the study. So when you began to look at those who dropped out, there were more African Americans and there were more more women who dropped out of the study, and we don't know all of the reasons. And I can say that at least at our site, nobody dropped out. Well, I would think okay. not. With your, your involvement, and I think people felt part of something. I'm from New York, so I don't think that kind of stuff is going on in New York where doctors give their cell phones and go to people's houses. You know, that, that's pretty amazing. It must make a lot of uh, people feel cared about. I do believe that, I guess, coming from a housing development myself, not growing up, poor but not growing up wealthy. I've always wanted to make a difference in health care. I wanted to be a medical missionary, believe it or not. Well, you're kind of that. I am, but I thought about it in terms of being abroad and not uh-huh. being on my home soil. Uh-huh. But in a way, yes, I guess you can say. And I do believe that the women who participated had to have also grasped the concept 
that they were participating in something that was larger than themselves, that they were being given an opportunity to contribute in a very significant and meaningful way about women who were living with HIV in this country, particularly women in the South and women of color. So uh, and let's characterize these women. I think it's really important. You, you said some percentage below the poverty line. And I think for most people, they understand what that means. In a dollar amount, what's the average earnings of these people? Are they unemployed or are they... Some, some were working, uh-huh. some on disability, some unemployed. And I think the national poverty guidelines state that for a household of one, you have to make less than 10000 In our Ryan White Clinic, you have to be less than 200% of poverty to qualify for the medications uh, through the AIDS Drug Assistance Program. Now, some of these individuals were on Medicaid, so they had a, an ability to get some of their medicines. But our women, if I just look at all of them, some had issues with uh, incarceration, some had substance abuse issues, even relapsed while they were in the trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, some were, of course, in recovery. Some of them were homeless or living in the homeless shelter. Some of them worked. They were just the working poor. And was this all their first trial in general? Every single Every single, every uh-huh. single one of them. It was their first trial. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, in my community, there were no HIV clinical trials until GRACE. And why do you think that is? We are the largest providers of HIV in our community. And trying to participate in clinical trials poses its own hurdles. We have a very, very supportive administrative arm who saw the importance and the significance of clinical research and they gave us the stamp of approval to participate. Then it was trying to at least communicate to the rest of the team about what a clinical trial was, and we were on a steep learning curve ourselves, and there were moments of frustration. We had to get our own ice, because there's no ice delivery in my community for dry ice. Why would you need that? You need dry ice to ship your blood there was no delivery, there's no curry in Savannah that did dry ice delivery. I picked up ice, the study coordinators picked up ice, the uh, coordinator's husband has picked up ice, the case managers, uh, whatever we had to do, we did. Grace was just that important. Having clinical research was that important to us because we wanted our patients to have access not only to novel drugs, but to be able to have a voice in what was going on. And I wanted to share this with you. In our homeless shelter, there is some artwork that was done by the clients that we serve. In a framed piece of artwork on the wall of that hallway was a photo and a cutout of a newspaper article that showed African-Americans standing behind tombstones. And written on the tombstone, it said, R.I.P., rest in peace. It said, AIDS equals death. African-American men and women dying because they are excluded from clinical trials. To focus on people of color has its own inherent challenges, I'm sure. 
but for a company to at least acknowledge that and to seek ways to reach them. One of the focuses about Grace was recruitment and retention. How do you recruit people that you know you need to gather information on into a clinical style, and then how do you retain them until the completion of that study? So Grace took some very novel approaches by going to some new sites, which we were one. They went to areas where they knew they had a heavy concentration of HIV and of women and women of color and offered those sites the support that they needed. The study was branded, so we saw the logo, the butterflies. That in itself was very unique, very different. And while we had some males to participate and some Caucasians, our African-American women were, were by far the largest proportion of those uh, contributing. And actually, we also used some of the study participants to speak at little lunch and learn events to talk about what their experience had been about the clinical trial, also what their concerns had been about participating in the clinical trial, and how those concerns had been dissuaded. Uh-huh. And there was enough money to pay everybody and provide transportation and that kind of stuff? The sponsors did offer a stipend to the participants that reimbursed them for travel uh, if they needed it, or I guess for childcare, whatever they needed it to do. And for some individuals, they were honest in saying that the stipend was what drew them to the trial, but it's not what kept them in the trial. They realized that they were part of something very significant. So it's like an untapped resource, and this gave them some attention and made them feel less alone, it sounds like. Well, they developed some camaraderie between Uh them. Not all of them. Some of them still were very, very private and still kept to themselves. But some of them needed to participate because they needed access to some of the new agents that hadn't yet been available through the ADAP program or yet at the approved. Mm -hmm. So the clinical trial gave us access. And I want you to understand something, that we had already witnessed our own clients dying all right, because we were waiting for the FDA approval to get drugged that we knew that they might benefit from. So this opened up that door for us to give people who had uncontrolled disease an opportunity to be controlled. We had two women in the trial who had not been undetectable on their viral load for at least two years who became undetectable for the first time. Wow. Because they had very resistant viruses, they had very treatment experience. They needed something. One of our participants actually had to drive about 40 miles one way to participate, but she came. She came, and she's still enrolled in care. She's still on the same medicine that she was in Grace, and Grace ended for her at the beginning of 2008. I understand you're doing a lot more clinical trials now since then. Yes, yes, yes. Well, all of the clinical trials are still HIV-focused, and we had an opportunity, because of Grace, to participate with other HIV drug and treatment experienced patients and treatment naive, but also the emphasis, again, is on people of color. I think that what Grace did, in fact, I'm pretty certain that Grace has now at least stated that we need to proactively involve more African Americans 
more women, more people of color, more people who are disproportionately impacted by the disease, we need to at least reach out to them. And it's not a secret that the majority of the clinical data that we now have is based upon Caucasian men. And they are no longer the largest uh, factor, of course, of, of new cases. That clinical research paved the way for the advances that we now see. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. This has been HIV Frontline's U.S. edition from The Body. Be sure to check in frequently at thebody.com for the latest news and information on HIV.